0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Film Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nathan Abrams, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Robert Kolker about his new book, Triumph Over Containment, American Film in the 1950s. Robert Kolker is a professor emeritus at the University of Maryland in College Park. He's author of numerous books, including extraordinary image of Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock, Stanley Kubrick, and the Reimagining of Cinema, A Cinema of Loneliness, Film, Form, and Culture, and Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick, and the Making of His Final Film. He's currently at work on a biography of Stanley Kubrick. Robert Kolker, welcome to the
1: show. Thank you for having me, Nathan.
2: Robert, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself.
1: I have um, been teaching or had been teaching for many, many years, and um, retired about three or four years ago, and have been devoting my time to writing, and uh, have produced a book on Alfred Hitchcock, Orson Welles, and Stanley Kubrick called The Extraordinary Image, and the current book that we're discussing now, Triumph Over Containment, American Film in the 1950s. And as you well know, you and I are working on a biography of Stanley Kubrick.
2: And it might seem like a dumb question, but what did you teach?
1: I taught a variety of um, film-related topics. I taught genres. I taught science fiction and melodrama. Um, I taught tour courses, which were my favorites, courses on particular course on Hitchcock and Wells, which was a fascinating combination and even more fascinating to see how the students responded. They took Hitchcock to their hearts and loved him dearly. And Wells's complexity almost always stymied them. And even at the very end, it was hard for them to understand what Wells was up to. Um, And um, in the last years of my teaching, I did online courses in film, which proved to be an interesting challenge Um, that worked quite well.
2: You didn't always start out as a film scholar, did you?
1: I started out as an English major I wrote my PhD on William Blake and 18th Century Poetic Fury, and my very first film piece was an interview with David and Albert Maisels, the great uh, documentarians. Um, And then wrote a series of articles for Sight and Sound, and then Cinema of Loneliness, which seems to be the keystone book. Gone through four editions and uh, I'm often told that it started many people on their careers. It's very gratifying to hear.
2: Should it go to fifth? We should have you back. when. The...
1: I think not. <laughs> I think the, the age of the American auteur is over. Um, and uh, There's not much more to say. American film is in not so great shape um i think the uh the world of visual storytelling has made its move or is making its move towards streaming platforms and uh, it remains to be seen what and who emerges from that
2: yeah that's possibly a discussion for another time um as we to focus on uh triumph over containment which is um primarily set in the 50s but there's one question i want to ask before i ask you about the book which is um how and why did you make that transition from william blake to uh sight and sound how hard it wasn't hard at all no not how how and why how why did transition yeah
1: and well, how blake is a visual poet a visual artist um and i learned a lot about reading images from from blake and uh, it was not very hard and not a very wide stretch to move into into film. Um, I have to say that when I was writing and working on my master's degree at Syracuse University, I began going to the local film theater, the local art house, and they began showing – they showed a series, a season – of films by Luis Buñuel and I discovered in seeing these films one after the other that there could be a consistency in visual and thematic approach from film to film and this absolutely astounded me. Um, I realized that in film there was the same kind of formal development as one could find in literature. And I think that was the road that led first parallel to uh, my work in in literature. And certainly when Columbia University sent me on fellowship to London to work in the British Museum on my Blake dissertation, I began spending a lot of time at the National Film Theater and enjoyed that more than the... uh, (laughs) than the hours spent over 18th-century books in, uh, in the British Museum. So, after the dissertation, the movement, the change, was less gradual than it might, uh, might appear. It was fairly abrupt, um, and when I was recruited to teach at the University of Maryland and to teach film courses, Um, that was um, the change in my career.
2: And you have no regrets? None. (laughs) Blake might be missing an eminent scholar. Uh,
1: um. (laughs) Well, Blake, when I was writing about William Blake, there there was not a lot going on. Blake is now an industry.
2: I think it's worthwhile spending time talking about your career because, as I should have said at the outset, you know, you're you're an eminent and well-known film scholar, um, and in a sense, this book, um, kind of, I wouldn't say as a summation, but but in some ways, maybe covers part you know part of your career looking back, right?
1: Yes, um, the '50s book is is the most personal book I've written. Um, it's really about my relationship to uh, to the films that I love. And the period in which I came of age. So, even though during the fifties I was not much that much aware of film, certainly the films, and even more important, the um, the awful uh, political cultural atmosphere of the decade seeped in, so that they kept both the films and that atmosphere kept urging me to do something to um, to both expose and honour them at the same time. And I think that's what Triumph Over Containment is. It's a work of exposure and a work of honouring.
2: And I suppose therefore it's also sort of a work of memoir as well.
1: It's a bit of a memoir. I mean, There are personal bits in it, stories about my my life. Um, It's also reasonably rigorous formal analysis of the films, but I hope in a style that is um, attractive and uh, easy to digest.
2: So what made you decide to, to
1: write it when you did? What made me decide to write the '50s book?
2: Yeah, Triumph Over Containment.
1: Yeah, as I said, it was it was something that was um, sort of banging around in my head for some time, and it 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 was that moment of comprehension that the pol- politics of the decade which were suffering under the dead hand of anti-communism. And at the same time, the rigorous and vigorous uh, films that were coming out during that period, uh, some of which directly confronting the politics, others simply moving beyond the containment that was strangling the culture, Um, All of this came together uh, and made it possible to write this book that uh, is both political and uh, critical.
2: So would you like to talk us through the contents of the book?
1: Well, the book is divided into a number of sections. There's an introductory section where I talk in general uh, about how films looked in the 1950s, um, concentrating on the development of widescreen and the um, paradox that the visual range of cinema was becoming wider as the political range of the culture was narrowing down. and then I focused at the beginning on three films that John Garfield made with um, an independent studio called Enterprise, and f- films that were political and culturally um, ahead of their time. Uh, films like Body and Soul. And, um, most especially, Force of Evil, the great uh, um, film about capitalism and small-time hoods. Um, one of the great films of the decade, even though it comes just before the 1950s. I sort of considered the 1950s as being as beginning in, the, in 1946 with the post-war period and moving on to the early 1960s, so sort of the idea of the long 1950s. And then focus on two, uh, rather four, um, of the leading filmmakers of the period. Uh, Nicholas Ray, who is, to my mind, perhaps the greatest filmmaker of the decade. Um, I certainly was not the first to discover this. The French discovered this back in the uh, 1950s when they were rediscovering American film. Um, And I paired Nicholas Ray with Ida Lupino, um, who who began her life as an actress and who became in the 1950s one of the first female director, or she, she was not the first female director, but certainly of the period, she was the first and only female director, um, and produced an extraordinary range of, uh, of films under the aegis of her own production company. Quite, uh, quite extraordinary in, in, in what she was able to to attain and the second set of, uh, of auteurs are uh, Joseph Losey, um, who actually made relatively few films in the, in the States uh, before he was called in front of uh, the House Committee of Un-American Activities and promptly left the country uh, and made an enormously successful career in England in the 60s. Um, but he managed to turn out um, a few important films before he left in the, in the early 1950s, including a little-known and remarkable remake of Fritz Lang's M, um, and, uh, and a few other films that are very politically uh, astute. He was a former communist and he never allowed his left wing leanings to leave. And um, they always infiltrated even these few films that, uh, that he made. Um, and I pair, uh, I pair Losey with Sam Fuller. Sam Fuller was another discovery of the French in, uh, in the 1950s and 60s and a remarkably difficult filmmaker to deal with. Uh, his films are rough-hewn, sometimes very silly, um, always very tough, um, and cover of wide range. He made westerns, he made war films. And he made one uh, film noir, Pick Up on South Street, that is one of the major films of the, uh, of the decade. And then I give some time to the, what I call the old masters, um, who were reaching really their peak in the 50s, John Ford, um, who made a number of, of Westerns in the late 40s and early 50s, climaxing with The Searchers, which has become a touchstone film for all contemporary filmmakers. Alfred Hitchcock, who did his great trio of, uh, of films in the, in the decade, uh, Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Psycho. Wells, right who was only able to make one film in the, uh, in the U.S., um, Touch of Evil, not to be confused with Force of Evil. Um, and Touch of Evil is really one of his great films. Um, and it was like so many of his films, taken over by the studio and um, cut a bit. And then uh, he left the country and didn't come back until the 1970s. And then end the book with um, studies of two major genres of the the period, Um, science fiction, which reached its peak in the 1950s. Science fiction films were often B-movies made cheaply and quickly but there are some masterpieces um, embedded in the genre. Uh, There are even some auteurs like Jack Arnold who emerge uh, in the genre. And some important influential films, The Forbidden Planet, for example, is a film that greatly influenced um, the Star Wars, films and uh, 2001. And then finally, melodrama. Melodrama has always been with us in every discipline, in every art form. And the 1950s were a sort of hotbed of melodrama. Climaxing in the work of Douglas Sirk, uh, with whom I end the study with his um, films like um, All That Heaven Allows and Imitation of Life. And then a coda, inevitably, um, about Stanley Kubrick.
2: So we're just talking about the coda to the book.
1: Yes, uh, about Stanley Kubrick, who started his career in the 1950s as an independent filmmaker, and really was, as in so many other things, at the frontier of uh, independent filmmaking, um, unbound by any studio. And also with Dr. Strangelove, he embraces the whole concept of containment um, and the uh, ridiculousness of uh, anti-communist discourse. And literally blows it up. So he puts an amen to it, as uh, John Wayne says in The Searchers.
0: Slash NBN fifty to get fifty percent off.
2: So you were just talking about how, um, yeah, the book ends with Kubrick and and, and blows it all up. Um, I do have some questions um, about about your choices. Um, earlier, you said um, Nicholas Ray was the greatest filmmaker of the decade.
1: At least of might be early- a bit controversial
2: statement in. Uh, yeah. Given well, that you've got Kubrick in there as well, but um, would you care
1: to elaborate on that? Um, I would modify it slightly and say, of the first half of the decade, um, his career was very spotty and uneven. But in a lonely place, Johnny Guitar, on dangerous ground, are three of the most startling and moving films of the decade, and I stand by that.
2: OK, so uh, you'd revise it to say he's the greatest filmmaker of the first half of the decade. Yes. Yep. Yeah.
1: And so who, who's the, what about the second half? Um, the second half um, is already a period of transition. Um, certainly you get Douglas Sirk's important melodramas, um, and you get, as I've said, uh, John Ford's, um, great, we- greatest Western and, uh, Orson Welles's, uh, greatest film or greatest American film of the decade, only American film of the decade, Touch of Evil. Uh, and, um, There are also filmmakers that I only touched lightly on the book. Um, Robert Aldrich, for example, um, whose um, film Kiss Me Deadly is one of the most surreal films ever made. Uh, One of the craziest films ever made. Um, So, yes, I stand by Nick Ray in the early part of the decade, and then there's a dispersal towards the end um, of, um, of talent, of important older filmmakers making their great works. Um, certainly Vertigo stands, as many critics have said, as the greatest film of all time. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and they reach their maturity and it's certainly, they go in different directions, the uh, the older directors. I don't think Hitchcock does anything as great um, as those three films, even though he continues into the early 70s. Wells does make greater films uh, in Europe, particularly his, uh, his film of the trial. <clears throat> And uh, his uh, Shakespearean film on about Falstaff, Chimes at Midnight.
2: Um, you also, like you said, had two chapters on genres. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain why you, you 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 included those two genres and say so not? Oh, otherwise? it was
1: purely personal choice because uh, the, they're the ones I was interested in. I'm not much interested in musicals, even though the 50s was produced a number of, of important musicals. Um, they're not to my taste. And because this was a personal book, um, I felt that I couldn't do them justice. Um, I cover the Western, which was a major genre in the 1950s, in the chapter uh, or the section of the chapter devoted to John Ford so it does get a little coverage I do talk about anthony mann who was next to ford one of the important directors of westerns during the uh during that era so the choices were about the genres that i really wanted to spend time talking about
2: yeah fair enough i mean i find science fiction um of the 50s quite fascinating yeah because there's an argument um that because they were largely B-movie fodder, you could slip in potentially more subversive messaging mm-hmm. than maybe in a more mainstream
1: right. film. Right. Um, some, although... of them, some of them played the party line, um, were veiled references about communist infiltration. Um, a few of them worked against the
2: party line. And then you've got those like Invasion of the Body Snatchers that can right. be read both or either way. Mark. But I mean, in, as you were talking, it, it would, you would suggest you could make a case there are other films from the 50s that are perhaps more subversive than um, the kind of general label that the decade has sort of been left with. Uh, there, um, yeah, so I rephrase that. Um, you know, the fifties are kind of remembered variously as the boring decade, the dull
1: decade. Um, right. That's why I, that that's essentially, in a few words, why I wrote the book. Yeah. So that it's not a boring decade at all.
2: Yeah, no, I don't agree with that. But uh, with 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 that those labels, I agree with you entirely. I was just thinking that you know, also the movies because of the. Um, you know, House Un-American Activities Committee and the resulting blacklist and the prevailing climate of anti-communism. Um, there's an argument that a lot of the movies, you know, uh, are diluted of any sort of vigorous social commentary. Um, but would you make the case that actually there's quite a lot of movies where, where that isn't the case, that actually there is there is that vigorous social commentary, perhaps?
1: Yeah. Um, I would make the case that there are a lot of films of the 50s that act as a kind of soothing, if you will, of the of the culture, a kind of enforcement or reinforcement of the worst aspects of the decade, um, the big biblical epics, for example, um, and uh, many melodramas that uh, aim to tell people that no matter what their desires are, they have to be contained. So there were films that were about containment as opposed to films that broke through containment.
2: Well, I suppose you're partly motivated, um, to direct people back to the fifties. I hope so. As a a crucial decade.
1: Yeah. I hope that uh, the book will urge people to, uh, to look at the films.
2: It's interesting to me because that's where I kind of cut my teeth. Um, um, academically speaking on the forties and fifties. So, you know, reading your book, uh, takes me back also not to a formative moment in my life (laughs) I wasn't alive then but to a formative uh, decade in 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 my academic progression um I I want to return to a couple of things you said at the outset um so you said the age of the American auteur is over the age of the American auteur is over
1: oh um I think it is Um, There are not, um, to my mind, um, many people emerging with a consistent body of work that is uh, interesting. Um, You know, one had hopes for Paul Thomas Anderson um, on the basis of two great films. um, uh, There will be Blood and The Master, but... His output since then has been uneven. I think Wes, Wes Anderson, who certainly has a consistent style, um, is so imbued in a kind of cuteness that uh, it's difficult to, uh, to take seriously. David Fincher, to whom I devoted some space in the last edition of Cinema of Loneliness, has turned over, has turned to, uh, to Netflix as his out, outlet uh, for films, for new films. So aside from those few, what you have mostly is um, superhero and car crash movies.
2: And Christopher Nolan, but that's possibly a debate for another time.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I, I suppose the, the, the what you just said about car crash and superhero movies leads me um onto something else. I wanted to pick up that you said at the outset, um, American film is 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 not in, is not in such great shape.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I should I should use the adjective that American theatrical film is not in great shape. Um, and there are a lot of factors. I mean, obviously the obvious one, the, uh, the pandemic that has kept people out of theaters. Um, but also I think, um, there's a certain lack of imagination, a lack of cinematic imagination. You know, a number, a number of years ago, uh I wrote a, a kind of follow-up to Cinema of Loneliness about international film, a book called The Altering Eye. Um, and it was very interesting to talk about films. I began with Italian neorealism and went through the German um, new wave, which ended with the death of Raina Werner Fassbinder, the great German filmmaker. And that sort of marked the end. I mean, certainly there have been important films from Europe and from the world and in world cinema. Um, But there is not that coherent energy that uh, went through world film uh, from the late 40s through uh, through the early 80s. And I think, and perhaps I'm too much involved at the moment but it could very well be that with the death of kubrick in 1999 that that marked the end of the great imaginative rush of films in uh in american filmmaking
2: yeah that's an interesting contention one possibly to be again followed up uh, yeah. another time yeah. well We've taken up quite a bit of your time today, but I'm um, wondering if you'd like to just tell us what you're working on now.
1: I'm um, busy with the uh, Kubrick biography and uh, thinking vaguely about a prequel to the book writing about the 1940s, but we'll see about that.
2: Oh, that sounds very interesting. And, um, should that materialize? Um, it'd be great to have you back to talk about the 40s.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. And, and I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome.